Well, good morning again. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 118, that'll be our sermon text for this morning. Uh, as you know, we've been working through the Psalms, and you might wonder, well, why didn't we stop the Psalm so we could uh, have a text that had to do with the resurrection? And of course, the answer is this Psalm does have to do with the resurrection. And uh, the Psalms, uh, my sort of number one principle for reading the Psalms is that the Psalms are all about Jesus, and, uh, and this one is, is no less true, and this one in particular uh, celebrates uh, the victory that we have in the resurrection, and we'll see that this morning. Uh, but first, let's pray together, and then we'll read Psalm 118. Our Father, we thank you for calling us into your presence. Uh, we, thank you, we thank you, Father, for forgiving our sins, uh, for making us uh, new creatures in Christ by the gospel. We thank you for drawing us near, uh, that we might uh, hear from you. And we pray that you would speak to us this morning through your word, uh, that you would give, a, give us humble hearts that are ready to hear, ready to learn, ready to, ready to hear from our Father, uh, ready to uh, be changed uh, by what you have to say to us this morning. And so we pray that you would do just that, that you would change us by your word, and by your spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 118. <laughs> oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side. As my helper, I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord this is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, 
and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Well, it is uh, Easter morning, uh, which means it is time to celebrate. And I wonder if you think about it, what is there in your life to celebrate? Uh, what reason do we celebrate this morning? I had a pastor who once said to his kids that we don't believe in the Easter bunny, but we do believe in chocolate bunnies, uh, which I think is a pretty good stance to take when it comes to Easter. And yet chocolate bunnies are not a reason to celebrate, but a way of celebrating. And once you peel back the Easter baskets and the jelly beans, and once the sugar high dies down, what reason do we have to celebrate? What is there in your life to celebrate this morning? Uh, maybe you can come up with a long list, but maybe not. Whether you have a long list or an empty one, I want to give you one compelling reason to rejoice and be glad this morning. Well, we're looking at Psalm 118, and uh, after a brief overview of the psalm, we're going to go through four uh, things, four points. We'll talk about trials, trust, triumph, and thanksgiving. And you can see those on the back of your bulletin if you want to follow along or take notes. Trials, trust, triumph, and thanksgiving. But before that, a, a brief overview of the psalm. We're looking at, at Psalm 118, and Psalm 118 begins and ends actually with the same words. Uh, verse 1 says, O give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. And this psalm is really an exhortation to give thanks, to praise, to confess the Lord. And the reason given is because His steadfast love endures forever. And that, that is repeated five times in this psalm. Uh, that God's steadfast love endures forever. And so you can see the basic logic of the psalm is really quite simple. You should give thanks to the Lord because of His steadfast love. Verses 5 through 27 then simply spell this out. And they do that uh, as the psalmist, the one who wrote the psalm, recounts his own experience. And his experience is essentially this. He found himself in trouble. All the nations surrounded him, verse 10, which is one of the reasons most take this to be a psalm of a king. The enemy nations were surrounding him. But the king knew the Lord was on his side, verse 6. He took refuge in the Lord, not in other men, not in princes, but in the Lord, verses 8 and 9. And so when he needed it most, though he was surrounded and even falling, verse 13, the Lord helped him. The king, by God's help, won his battle. And so the king returns to Jerusalem. He enters into the temple to give thanks to the Lord, verses 19 to 21. The king's people rejoice in God's deliverance then in 22 to 24. They entreat God for further care for them in verse 25. They bless the king and possibly his army in verse 26. And then they bring their thank offerings to God in celebration of God's steadfast love in verse 27. See, the king recounts his trials, he recounts his trust in God, he recounts his triumph and the thanksgiving that results. Now, this is one of those psalms that actually is really easy uh, to see how it's fulfilled in Jesus. 
Uh, and I say this because the New Testament applies it to Jesus again and again. The Sunday before his crucifixion, the people sing to Jesus, Hosanna, which is Hebrew for verse 25, save us we pray. And then they say on that day, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus used verse 22, uh, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone to refer to himself, rejected by the religious leaders, but exalted by his father. Jesus was surrounded by the nations, Jew and Gentile, conspired together against him. He faced overwhelming opposition. He was crucified and buried, but the Lord was on his side. And he knew with confidence that he would look in triumph. And even on the cross, he knew, I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. Verse 17. See, he was rejected by the religious leaders of Israel. He was the stone that the builders rejected, but God raised him from the dead as the cornerstone of his new people. And by his resurrection victory, Jesus is, uh, has been exalted as the king of Israel to be the king of heaven and earth. He entered into the temple of God in heaven to sit at the Father's right hand to rule as king forever. And so the psalmist's trials and trust and triumph are really just a preview of the trials and trust and triumph of King Jesus. See, the psalm was written by some particular Israelite king, but it points us forward to the king of kings, Jesus, and his victory in the resurrection. And yet we can't stop there because now we who belong to Christ, his people, his church, we who are his subjects because we believe in him, we too follow this path of trials and trust and triumph and thanksgiving. And of course, the point in each case is that we give thanks to the Lord because he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. The Father saved the psalmist, the Father saved Jesus in the resurrection, and the Father will save us through our trials and see us safely into his presence on the last day. That is our hope. But before we get to hope, we begin with the trials. So we'll start with point one, trials. What reason do we have to sing, really? The psalmist knew his trials, verse five. He had some reasons to fear, verse six. The nations had surrounded him, verse 10. But he's not even satisfied with leaving at that. Interestingly, after verse 10, uh, he, he, he wants to emphasize it in verse 11 and 12. They, they surrounded him on every side. They surrounded him like bees. And he has these swarming, stinging enemies all around him. He can't escape them. He felt like he was falling. But, but not simply because he tripped. Oh, no, he had been pushed hard, he says in verse 13. He has this enemy, and he's about to go down. Things were bad. And Jesus, too, again, faced trials. He was rejected by his people, plotted against by the religious leaders, betrayed by one of his closest friends, denied by another, Falsely accused, convicted, executed. Uh, the one who should have exonerated him, Pontius Pilate, the, the, the judge in his case, chose political expediency rather than justice. Jesus was nailed to the cross where he suffered the worst fate of all, which was abandonment by his father. Scripture tells us that at the cross, Jesus was rejected, forsaken for us. Do you live there? That is, do you, do you live feeling, at least, rejected by God, forsaken, forgotten? 
Do you feel like while the nations have not surrounded you, life is still overwhelming and trouble and even death loom large? You face difficulties daily and you wish it would be over. Do you know that even if life is good, even if all seems well for the moment, sin and guilt, they are our greatest enemies. These are real and destructive and deadly. So then what reason do you have to sing? What's going on in life that you have to celebrate? I'm not actually asking you to think of something because some of you will and some of you won't. And some of you might have something today, but not tomorrow. And so the point is this, if our reason to rejoice is found in some circumstance or another in this life, it's always fragile and uncertain and fleeting. But whether you can find something or not, there is a reason to rejoice. There is something that is solid and certain and sure. Which brings us already to our second point. First, trials, but second, trust. In the midst of his trials, the writer of this psalm trusted the Lord. Verse 5, out of my distress, I called on the Lord. Why? Because he knew that God was committed to him. That's what he says in verses 6 to 7. He says, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. So the Lord is on my side. The psalmist knew God was committed to him no matter what. Interestingly, the psalmist attributes even his trials to the Lord's discipline in verse 18, which is to say, however bad it got, he knew that God is actually in control here. And he rested in his father's care, even in the midst of his struggles. Whatever might have happened, the psalmist did not doubt this one thing. God was for him, on his side, committed to him. Now, actually, that's what he says in in verse 1. Verse 1, again, reads, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And the word uh, translated here and elsewhere in the psalm, steadfast love, is is the Hebrew word, one of those few Hebrew words that you, you... may have heard, right, which is the word hesed. And it, it just, it means steadfast love, right? That's the way it's translated, steadfast love. But, but it can even mean, right, it has these connotations of being devoted love or committed love. The word is about God's commitment to his people. His love doesn't end because he's committed to them, devoted to them. And what it means to then trust in the Lord is to know that whatever happens, he is committed to you. He is your God, and you are his people. And Jesus trusted in God's steadfast love, even in the face of the cross, right? While praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Father, if possible, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. While hanging on the cross, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And Think about what difference it would make in your life to know, to know deep down, not just with a a, a vague head knowledge, but to know and believe and rest in the fact that the God of the universe was committed to you. That the one who holds the stars in his hands has your best interest at heart. Now, of course, that means being a part of his people, which in the New Testament comes about because you call on the name of the Lord which just means you call on Jesus 
to save you as your king and your Lord. No one who comes to him will he turn away. Jesus promised, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That is, come to me and I will care for you body and soul. Do you trust in God's steadfast love? Do you know his steadfast love held out to you in the gospel, held out to you in Jesus? Do you believe with the psalmist that the Lord is on your side? Have you come to Jesus and recognized him as your king and asked him to save you, to see you through this life and into the next? If so, know with confidence that God is for you. Who can be against you? The Lord is on your side. What can man do to you? Now, of course, our temptation, and the, the psalmist assumes this, our temptation is not to trust in the Lord, but to trust in men. That's what verses 8 to 9 point out. The psalmist says, It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. And this is always the temptation. It was the temptation for Israel's kings again and again and again. They were tempted to make alliances with foreign rulers in order to get them out of a bad situation. Of course, the problem with these alliances uh, was threefold, right? They were often done out of fear, not out of faith. So they were just looking for whoever was stronger than the bad guy that was against them. So they just, out of fear, they ran around and said, okay, wait, you can help me. I'll make an alliance with you. They, they, they often meant that Israel became subject to a foreign power, which meant Israel uh, giving up their inheritance, the authority that God had given them in the land, and they often led to compromises of other kinds. If I make an allegiance with an, uh, an alliance with an idolatrous nation, it's that much easier for me to slide into idolatry myself, which is what Israel often did. For us, though, how, how easy is it to think, I'm in deep trouble in some area in life, and then to live in that fear and to give my allegiance to some person who promises to make all my troubles go away. And that may be a, 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 someone close to us, a boyfriend or a girlfriend. It may be a politician or a religious leader. It may be some new fad diet or exercise or self-help guru. But you place your hope in some human being or some human means rather than God to make your life better. And, of course, you'll, you'll then begin to compromise in other areas, right? So even if it means cheating on your taxes or cheating on your exams or stealing from your workplace, right? You're willing to do whatever it takes to get yourself out of this mess because you're not trusting God to care for you in the midst of your mess. That's what it looks like to trust in man rather than to take refuge in the Lord, to put all our hopes and dreams on somebody and their empty promises and programs rather than to rest in the God who is for us, even in the midst of the mess, even in the midst of the trouble. Of course, you may ask, okay, well, that's all well and good, but how do I know that God is for me? How do I know that God is for me, for us? How do we know that he's really committed to us? How do we know that he's not going to turn his back on us like so many others? Right? The moment we fail him or the moment someone better comes along. Well, that brings us to the next point, triumph. How do we know that God is committed to us? Well, the short answer is God's commitment is demonstrated in the resurrection. See, the psalmist here says, Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And then he begins to recount an instance of God's steadfast love. 
We know that God is for us because of his actions. Look at what he has done. Look at how he has cared for his people in the past. The psalmist looked in triumph over those who hated him, verse 7. He cut off his enemies, verse 10, 11, and 12. When he was falling, the Lord helped him. Though disciplined, he was not given over to death. When the people then uh, recount what God had done for their king, they say in verses 22 to 24, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. You know, we tend to think that last verse there uh, is about this day. Uh, that is, you know, today, April 21st, 2019. God made this day as he made all others. So let's rejoice uh, in what God has made. And of course, that's true. God did make this day as well as all others. That's just not what the verse is saying. To understand verse 22, you have to back up a couple verses, right, to verse, uh, well, to understand verse 24, you have to back up a couple verses to verse 22. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. What is the day that the Lord has made? Well, it's the day when the stone the builders rejected became the cornerstone. When was that? It was, well, it was when Israel's king uh, was being rejected but came out on top. Was the, that, that the day that the Lord has made is the day that the Lord saved. Right? It was the day of salvation. It was the day of victory. It was the day of triumph. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, meaning the one whom men rejected and despised, God exalted to the highest place. And rejected by the religious leaders, Jesus became the foundation of God's new world. When did that happen? It happened in the resurrection. Though rejected by men, Jesus was raised by the Father on the third day. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. See, the day that the Lord has made is the day of resurrection. The day Jesus triumphed and the Father saved him from the grave. This, the day of resurrection, this is the day of triumph. This is the day of salvation. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Well, what does that mean for us? That the day that the Lord has made is the day of resurrection. Well, God the Father gave Jesus over to death for us. God the Father raised Jesus from the dead for us. And echoing Psalm 118, verse 6, Paul says in Romans chapter 8, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? See, how do we know that God is for us and will continue to be for us no matter what? He gave his son for us. What more can he do to prove his commitment to his people? His steadfast love endures forever. Now we, like our King Jesus, go through trials. We face trouble and hardship and difficulty, enemies, overwhelm, and even death. But we, like King Jesus, know that God is for us. We can trust him. He will see us through. We will look in triumph. And so in hardship, we trust. We wait for the day of victory. We wait for our resurrection. God will deliver his people from all their trials. Through the cross, we are delivered from sin. Sin, guilt, and the cursed have, have no more hold on us. 
That means we're delivered from death and all the hardship that comes with it. With it. And then you, you, you ask, okay, well, if we have been delivered, why do we still undergo these trials? Well, we go where Jesus has gone. We follow our King and walk by faith in the promises of our Father, even as we hope in our resurrection to come. And so our triumph looks in two directions. We look back to the cross and the resurrection where sin was paid for and death is defeated. But we also look forward to the last day and the end of history when we will rise from the dead and death will be no more. Trial, trust, triumph, and finally, thanksgiving. The whole point of this psalm is this. Right? The saving work of God gives us a reason to celebrate. Your reason to sing is this. God is committed to his people. He's committed to the end. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. To give thanks here is to confess, right? It's the, it's the same word actually in a very different context. Uh, in Psalm 32, when David talks about confessing his transgressions, David is acknowledging or making known his sin. So, so what does that mean here? What, what does the psalmist mean when, when he exhorts us to acknowledge or to make known or to confess the Lord. He means to proclaim the great deeds of our God. Hence, verses uh, two through four, right? Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Confess. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. The psalmist goes through each group in the congregation and exhorts them to confess and rejoice in God's steadfast love. Kind of like an MC, right? <laughs> Talking to the crowd. Going through each group of people. Saying, rejoice in God's steadfast love. In light of what God has done, we are to proclaim, to rejoice, to boast in what God has done. And so the whole psalm is a proclaiming or a boasting in the saving work of God. Uh, verses 15 to 16, the, the response of the warriors in their tents after the victory was what? Glad songs of salvation in the tents of the righteous. And what do they sing about? The right hand of the Lord, the right hand of the Lord does valiantly, the right hand of the Lord exalts, the right hand of the Lord does valiantly. Look at what our God has done, they're saying. This is what our singing does. Our singing proclaims the work of God. We proclaim, this is how our God has saved us. Look at what he's done. Rejoice in his work. That's why this morning we're singing songs about the resurrection. Because we are celebrating what our God has done in the resurrection of our Savior Jesus. And yet Thanksgiving is more than singing. It is singing it's rejoicing, but it's more than that. In verses 19 to 21, the psalmist enters into the tabernacle through the gates of righteousness, right? That he might give thanks to the Lord. He enters, and then he says in verse 21, I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. Of course, the tabernacle is not just for words, uh, but it's where sacrifices were made. And so in verse 27, we read, The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. And I think the idea there is this, right? God has fulfilled his promises to us. He has caused his face to shine on us. And so we bring him our sacrifices of thanksgiving. 
Now, in the New Testament, we don't bring sacrifices of bulls and goats, but we shouldn't think that, therefore, New Testament religion is any less about sacrifice. We offer our lives as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. We give ourselves as a daily thank offering to our Father as we do good and share what we have. Such sacrifices, we are told, are pleasing to God, according to Hebrews 13, 16. And so we celebrate what God has done by singing songs of his uh, victories and giving thanks by giving ourselves. Yet even still, we remember that there is more to come. You know, interestingly, the people, uh, after they say in verse 24, this is the day that the Lord has made, let us rejoice and be glad in it, they go on to say, save us, we pray. Right? In Hebrew, Hosanna. Save us now, please. Though the king had been given victory, the battles were not over. Israel didn't feel that, that from one victory, even a great victory as they had experienced, they could then just sit back and relax. This is why, though our king, Jesus, has triumphed in the resurrection, and in his ascension, he's entered into the heavenly tabernacle, into the presence of the Father, we still pray, save us, please, Hosanna. We still face battles every day. We still pray for daily victory. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We pray for the fullness of God's kingdom, for the return of Jesus and the day when every tear will be wiped away. Christ has risen victorious. Having defeated sin and death in the cross and the resurrection, we now call on the Lord to be saved from our trouble. Sin and suffering will not have the final word. And so we walk in hope, not knowing when our difficulties will end, but knowing that they will because we know that our loving Father is caring for us in the midst of them. He is for us, and He will see us through to the end. Trials we will face, but we trust in Him, and we will triumph, and so we give thanks. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let's pray. Our Father, we confess that we, we know that we could never give thanks enough to somehow pay you back. But we also know that that's not the point. Uh, your love is infinite. Your love is forever. And so we rejoice. We rejoice in you. We rejoice in our Father. We rejoice in your steadfast love. We rejoice in the work of the cross and the resurrection. Father, thank you. Thank you for all that you have done for us in your Son. Impress it deep upon our hearts that we would live in light of it day by day, walking in trust and in hope. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.